Good morning, Christ Church family. Hope you all are doing well this morning. If you are new and visiting with us for the first time this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you would join and worship with us together through our online stream service. And uh, we've been in a series actually together called Centered in the Chaos. And I was thinking about just how appropriate the title is for the season we find ourselves in right now and even the week that we've had uh, you know, I, we initially launched a series with thinking about kind of the chaos of the pandemic and the economic collapse and everything. And then, of course, this week, uh, there was chaos that erupted in over 30 cities in our nation uh, with protests and riots. And, um, and then, of course, uh, there was the death of George Floyd that followed on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And uh, underneath the surface of all of that, of course, was the dark chaos a very personal and systemic racism that is still very much a reality in this nation that we live in. And so I just wanted to invite you uh, to join with me as we just kind of uh, prepare to hear God's word that we do believe is gonna center us in the chaos. Uh, just join with me as we pray that God's kingdom would break in into, this, into the midst of the world that, that we're in right now. And so let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we come to you and we ask, O oh God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth even as it is in heaven. God, where there is systemic and personal racism here in our nation, we pray that you would break in with your kingdom of justice and truth and equality and love. We ask, O oh God, where there is hurt and pain over loss and death, we ask, God, that your kingdom of love and reconciliation and healing of hurts would break in. We pray, O oh God, that where there is needless destruction in our cities, where there is violence, we pray, O oh God, that your peaceable kingdom would come into this world. And Father, we ask that you would use us as instruments and as agents of your kingdom in this world. Would you make us peacemakers? Would you give us courage to speak up and have a voice for the voiceless? God, would you use us, we pray, to be agents of your healing, reconciling love in the midst of this broken world? And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray that you would, by his power and his name, even break into our hearts right now, that you would speak, that you would center us again in the chaos. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. So in that video, the churches are gathering together to pray God's blessing over our world. And it kind of reminds me of the words of the psalm that we heard read for us. It begins with the psalmist saying, may God bless us in verse one. And then it ends by saying, God shall bless us, verse six. And then it repeats it again, God shall bless us. But it raises the question, what does that word blessing mean anyway? What are we saying when we're asking God's blessing over us? And I want to explore this word blessing with you this morning. It's one of the most important words in all of the scriptures. It's one of the most important words really for understanding what it means to be in relationship with God. We need to understand this word blessing. And so this morning, I wanna kind of unpack the idea of blessing. And we're gonna do it under three headings. Number one, we're gonna talk about the nature of God's blessing. Secondly, 
the purpose of God's blessing, and then thirdly, we'll, we'll look at the future of God's blessing. So first, let's talk together about the nature or the meaning of God's blessing. What are we even talking about when we use the word blessing? You know, blessing is one of those words that has lost its teeth in our culture. It almost sounds cliche. It sounds like one of those churchy, religious words that we use, and, and we use it in our culture for almost everything. You know, someone sneezes, and we say, bless you. You know, the president say, God bless America. You know, we ask somebody how they're doing and they say, I'm doing blessed, you know, and I always want to say, could you unpack that a little bit? What do you mean by that? You know, and of course, before we eat, uh, we say the blessing. And it's interesting because, you know, the ancient Jews, when they ate, they didn't ask, ask God to bless the food. They blessed God for the food. But we, as Americans, we pray that God would bless our food. And I always wonder, like, what do, what do we mean by that? You know, we got ourselves a, a double-double in French fries, and, and we say, God, would you just bless this? Are we asking God to change the molecular structure of it and make it for our bodies like a, a leafy green, you know, smoothie that will bring health to us? You know, but we pray for God to bless our food. You know, in the South, it could almost be used as a form of insult. You know, my brother's a pastor in Batesville, Arkansas, and he said that uh, when he first got there, he thought, you know, Southern hospitality, it's so warm, you know, it seems like every time I'm, I'm talking with somebody, you know, they use this phrase, they say, oh, well, bless your heart, you know, and uh, he just thought, oh, isn't that so sweet, you know, and then, then about six months in, one of his friends said, Brent, that's not, that's not a compliment, that's an insult. That's like saying, well, aren't you just the stupidest thing I ever did see, you know? But what does this word blessing mean anyway? It's a huge sub-theme in Scripture. Well, um, it, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, that the blessing of God is the visible, it's the perceptible, the effective proximity of God. It's the visible, the perceptive, the effective proximity of God. Now that's a little dense, and so let's unpack it a little bit. And I want to unpack it by first talking about that word perceptible and visible. Notice uh, it's, 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 it's something he says that's visible and effective. In other words, blessing does. You know, we think about blessing as something we say, but in the biblical imagination, blessing is not just something that's spoken. Blessing is actually an active force. Uh, God's blessing does something. And the primal, the, the, the very primal story of God's blessing in the scriptures is in Genesis 1, where God, who is the ground of being the eternal, omnipotent, uncaused, uncreated one speaks, and he calls into being all that is. And he looks over everything that God's made. He looks at the, the plants and the trees and the birds and the bees and the oceans, you know, the seas and the skies and his human creatures. And God just says, it is very good. And then the Bible says that God pronounces his blessing. He speaks his blessing over his creation. And alongside his blessing are the, is this idea that his blessing will do something. He blesses them and he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's as if he's saying, look, the blessing of God results in fertility and abundance and productivity. The blessing of God is powerful. It does something. It brings health and fullness and well-being. And then God takes space. Uh, he takes a day, even the Sabbath, and it says he blesses the Sabbath. He pours out his blessing even on this space in time, a day. And then God blesses marriage. 
and he blesses the couple and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And what I want you to see is that God's blessing is effective. And as a result, they are fruitful and multiply and it results in human flourishing and well-being and goodness. You could say that a world that is underneath God's blessing, an individual life that is underneath God's blessing is one that reaches its fullness and potential. You know, it was Irenaeus who said that the glory of God is man fully alive. And it's as if it's the blessing of God that causes us to become fully alive. It it brings us into fullness of life. And so a blessed business is productive and, and it's growing and it's full of abundance. A children that are blessed are well-adjusted and they're happy and they're growing and, and a marriage that is blessed is intimate and close and you just feel alive in that marriage. And, and, a, and a blessed inner life uh, is one where you find joy and security and creativity and, and, a, and a, an imagination to engage in God's work. And a, and a blessed garden is a garden where flyer, flowers are alive and strawberries are plump and delicious. And and this is what God's blessing does, is it creates something that's visible and perceptive. And so Bonhoeffer says that the the blessing of God is the visible, the perceptive, the effective. uh, And then he says it's the proximity of God. And and this word proximity is important um, It it could be translated, of course, I mean, it could be uh, another word you could use is nearness. In other words, what is it that brings human life to its fullness? Uh, It's the nearness of God. It is his smile. And look at how it puts it in the text. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. It's as if he's saying, look, God, come near and smile over us. And underneath God's smile, we come alive. Business comes alive. Marriage comes alive. Our inner life comes alive. Home life and families and the world comes alive underneath the the near smile and the delight of God. I can remember, and I I have these memories just etched in my brain of holding my daughters when they were, when they were you know, two, three, four, five months old. And, and, and those of you who've had children, you know this experience of just, just being absorbed in that child and, and looking at them and you're just smiling over them. They're just bringing you joy. And then when they first start to smile back at you and they start to giggle and laugh, and, and it's like this, this interwovenness of, of their, their delight and smile and your smile and you're bringing each other fullness of joy. And it's as if the scriptures are saying here, look, humanity is brought into life when we live underneath the smile, the approval, the delight of God. And so God's blessing is his nearness, it's his proximity in our hearts and lives that actually causes us to increase and grow and become abundant. Now, the antithesis of blessing in scripture is curse, You know, after the blessing in Genesis 1, a new word, a darker word enters into the story of the Bible in Genesis 3, and it's not the word blessing, it's the word curse. And if blessing is God's nearness, then the curse is the effective, powerful working of God's absence. If blessing is living underneath God's smile, then the curse is living underneath God's frown. 
And so when the human creatures, when our forefathers, Adam and Eve, turned away from God, and they turn away from God's will for life and love and fullness and instead turn to lives of hiding and deceit and envy and hate and violence and racism. God doesn't smile overneath all of that because that's not God's good creation. That is disintegrating God's good creation and God frowns on that. And in scripture, God does not smile over, over all of the greed and injustice and violence and envy, that doesn't get a smile, but his a frown. And the effective result is spiritual and social and cultural and psychological disintegration. But of course, the opposite of that curse is blessing. It's when we turn away from those things that are destructive, that make for life to fall apart, and we turn to God and his smile and his will for life and love, and we say, God, graciously smile upon me, effectively work in my life and bring about abundance and wholeness and flourishing. I need this for my marriage. I need this for my heart. I need this for my home. We need this for our nation. We, we need this for our church. God, smile upon us. Bring your blessing upon us. That's what the blessing of God is all about. And so we've seen something of the nature of God's blessing. But second, I want you to notice something of the purpose of God's blessing in this text. Notice the purpose of God's blessing. Why is the psalmist praying, God, be gracious to us? Look again back at, at verse one. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? Verse two, he says, so that, there's a so that, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. And then it goes on from the so that that your saving power might be known to so that the peoples might praise you, O God, verse three and five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. And so do you see what's happening in this text? The, the psalmist is inviting us to join him in praying something that you and I need in our life. He's inviting us to pray God's blessing in our life, in our homes, in our marriages, over our children, over our parents, over our roommates, over our schools, over our nation, over, over our justice system. God, come and, and God, smile and bring blessing and fertility and fruitfulness and justice and peace and wholeness. Make it all it's supposed to be. Make me, make my home all it's supposed to be. God, bless us. God, bless me. But notice why we are praying, God, bless me. It is so that it might not end with me. Now, I think for a lot of us, we think, God, bless me so that I so that my life might be better, so that I might have a better experience in life, so that you know, I might get a promotion or get a mate or a date or God, give me what I want. And, and we look to God almost as our sugar daddy who's up there just to make our life better. And in our imagination, oftentimes God's, the, the prayer for God to bless me stops with me. But I want you to note well in the text 
that the, the, the purpose of God's blessing is that it wouldn't end with you, but it would travel beyond you to bless others. Bless us so that your way might be known, so that your saving power might be known among all the nations. Now, behind this text is another one of the primal stories of God's blessing in the Old Testament. It's the story of God's promise to bless Abraham. And do you remember what happened on that occasion? Over against the backdrop of Genesis 10 and 11, which was all about the nations, the Tower of Babel, the confusion of languages, the dispersion of nations. You know, up until that point in, in the book of Genesis, the focus has been global, it's been international. And then in contrast to that, you reach chapter 12 and the focus goes way narrow. And it goes from all of the families of the earth to one family. It goes from all of the peoples of the earth to one person, Abraham, and to one nation, Israel. And God says to this one man, Abraham, and to this one nation, Israel, he says, look, over against all of these, or over against the backdrop of all of the other people and all of the other nations, I'm going to bless this one man and this one nation. And thoughtful readers of the Bible have asked, what gives? What about all the other people? What about all the other nations? Why this one man? Why this one nation? Now, if you read through the book of Genesis, there's no clear answer. It's not like Abraham was better than all the rest. Abraham was another pagan, idolater, polytheist, wandering throughout the ancient Near East. And God just selects him. And then he heaps him down with all of these promises and all of his blessings of land and of, of hope and of future and, and, and of fertility and growth and greatness. He, he heaps him down with his blessings. And then he says this, I will bless you so that through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning, God's vision in choosing Abraham was to never end with Abraham. It was always to go beyond the blessing of Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth through this one man, Abraham. But it is interesting, isn't it? That God elects to use vessels and instruments to bring his blessing to other people. He doesn't simply go to each individual person and each individual family and, and make promises and give blessing. Instead, he goes to one so that through that one, his promise and his blessing might travel to all the peoples of the earth. It's almost as if God's vision is for humanity to be interdependent for you to need brothers and sisters so that God's blessing might travel through them to you and so that the blessings you receive might travel through you to other people. But friends, this is the fundamental principle of the Christian life. It is the fundamental principle of blessing. God's blessing is never meant to end with you. It's always meant to be for you so that it might go beyond you and bless other people. And this is true for us personally and it's true for us corporately. It's true for us personally. You know, for some of you, God has blessed you with a, a story of his redeeming, freeing power in your life. He broke the, the chains of addiction in your life. Why? It was for you to bless you, but also through you to share that story with others so that God's saving power might be known to them, so that God's praise might be made. 
God has blessed your business or he's blessed you with opportunities. Uh, He's given you productivity so that you might use your business to bless your staff team and your community so that you might use your resources and your finances to bless other people beyond you. God, it may have blessed you with a, a rich marriage, a delightful marriage and a great family, but that's so that God might use your family maybe to open up your, the life of your family's circle to invite others in so that they might be blessed. Maybe God gave you a voice and an education and a strong personality because God wants to use that in order to speak for the voiceless and to fight for those who need somebody who's strong to fight for them. Several years ago, I went to a little country in West Africa called Burkina Faso, and uh, I went there with uh, a few people, but one of the people that came on our team was uh, uh, a high school student whose name was Nathan. And when I got home and I was sharing with people about my trip, and Burkina Faso is the, at the time, it was the third poorest nation in the world, and we went there, and we just went out into the bush, and we saw such, such abject poverty. I, I, never, I, I never have encountered anything quite like it. And I remember talking to people after this trip who said, oh, I'm so glad you brought Nathan with you. That way, Nathan can know just how blessed he is in our country. And I remember thinking, and I remember Nathan thinking, like, the effect of seeing the needs and the poverty of others was not simply to remind him that he is blessed. It was rather an obligation and responsibility to take whatever blessings he had and use it to care for his neighbors, his brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And it's true with him, it's true with us. God blesses us so that he might use us to bless others. It's true for us personally and it's true for us corporately as a church. You know, God has blessed this church with so much, with a rich and vibrant heritage and with great property and with great resources and with great buildings and facilities. But surely that's not simply for the people that meet here. Well, not meet here now. (laughs) But one day we will. This is not going to be normal on TV, but uh, we will get back. But God hasn't blessed us with all of this simply to stop with us. God wants to use us to be a light and a blessing to this community in Sierra Madre. God wants to use us to be a blessing to our friends and our neighbors and to the needs within LA County. God wants to use us to bless those throughout the world globally. God wants us to bring, uh, to, to be a witness uh, of the blessing of his justice and of his peace and of his redeeming love in Jesus and to bear witness of that all over. Do you see God has blessed you and God has blessed us so that it wouldn't end with you or end with us, but it might go out beyond us to other people. And listen, when God's blessing on me ends with me, it distorts and destroys the whole thing. This last week, I I, I got up at 4.30 in the morning to go surfing, and I was kind of running around the house to get my stuff together and uh, took my board outside and my wetsuit and my towel and, you know, um, I got my coffee, hopped in the car. And um, uh, I had a lot of stuff on my mind that I was just thinking it was, you know, kind of going into this week, there was so much happening. I was thinking and kind of preoccupied. And I, I put the car in reverse and I backed up and I, I felt this bump in my car. I was like, oh no, what was that? And, uh, and then it occurred to me, I didn't put my surfboards in the car. 
and I got out and I had run over my own surfboard. And, you know, I thought, well, that's okay. You know, there is no tragedy that a pastor cannot redeem by turning it into a sermon illustration. And so that's what I'm doing now. But, you know, it, it did occur to me, like, the purpose of a surfboard is not to be a speed bump. It's to go out and to harness the energy that's moving through the Pacific Ocean and to get up and to drop in and to carve and to turn on that thing. That's the point of a surfboard. And when you run it over, it destroys the whole thing. And listen, when you and I run over the blessings of God by making them about me, by making them solely about us, we destroy and we distort it. And we destroy and distort what Christianity really is all about. And we destroy and distort very, the very thing that we find in Jesus, which is a Lord who, who leaves everything in order to divest himself so that he might bless the nations. And so we've seen something, number one, of the nature of God's blessing. It is the perceptible, the visible, the effective nearness, the smile of God that results in human flourishing and life. We've seen something of the, the purpose of God's blessing. God smiles on us. He makes our life flourish so that through us, God might bless other people. But thirdly, I want you to see in this text something about the future of God's blessing. Look down at verse six. This is pretty, this is kind of interesting. It says this. It says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's interesting, there's this little phrase that seems, you know, when I first read it, it seemed to kind of like jump out of nowhere. It says, verse six, the earth has yielded its increase. And then I read the commentaries and the commentaries point out that this psalm almost was certainly used to be sung during one of the great harvest festivals of Israel. And so Israel... Uh, had this uh, tradition year after year when they would bring in their harvest that they would throw a great national party and they would take some of the first fruits from their harvest and they would gather them up and they would bring it into the great city of God, uh, Jerusalem, and they would offer it up to God as a great sacrifice and they would eat and party together in God's presence as if to say, thank you to God for this great abundant harvest. And it's interesting because he, he refers to that in verse six. He says, the earth has yielded its increase as if to say, God has blessed us. But I think what's interesting and what, what also the commentators point out is that he does something interesting here. Rather than saying the earth has yielded its increase and looking back at the past and saying God has blessed us, he uses this as a hint that in the future, God will bless us again. And actually, uh, this idea of a winter that is followed by a spring, that is ultimately followed by a summer of work that then ultimately results in a great harvest where the earth brings forth its uh, increase. The biblical authors use this ultimately as a metaphor to describe their own state and what they were longing for God to do. And here in, in these Old Testament times, the people of Israel very much felt like they were in winter. The winter, as it were, of living underneath God's frown and curse. 
because they had turned their back on the life of God and his will of love for creation. And they had instead turned to idols into violent ways, into envy and greed and racism and war and everything that makes for destruction in this world. They had turned away from God into these things and they were under his curse. But here they, they get a hint from the abundant harvest that they receive each fall that one day this winter, this metaphorical winter that they lived in would end and God would bring forth fruit and, and abundance once again from the earth and God would make all things new and all of creation would live underneath God's smile and God's blessing. And throughout the Old Testament, it's almost as if it's this story of, 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 of a people that were made to live underneath the blessing of God, but instead had turned away from that and were now underneath his frown and his curse. And we're looking one day for God to break in and save them from this curse and to turn his frown away and to smile upon the world once again and to bring humanity out of its darkness and out of its winter of violence and racism and hate and everything that makes for destruction and to make creation flourish again and to establish his kingdom on earth that would be a kingdom of abundance and vitality. Now, of course, this Psalm doesn't tell us how we get there, but when you fast forward up to the New Testament, the New Testament bears witness to how God ultimately would deal with the curse and would bring his blessing to all of the families of the earth. God shockingly would enter himself into the winter of our discontent. He would enter into our pain and injustice and a world of violence and darkness. He would take on the role of refugee running uh, from Egypt up to Israel. He would take the role of the poor and those who were powerless and on the margins of society. He would take the role of one who is physically beaten brutally by an abuse of state power. He would take the role of one who ultimately would be hung on a tree so that he might enter into the curse of humanity, humanity underneath God's frown so that he himself might bear the curse and break its power so that by bearing the curse and absorbing it in his own self on the cross, God might bring its power to an end so that a new door would open for you and I where we might become the recipients, not of God's frown, but by his grace and by his smile, his blessing, his near presence, and after Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, he poured out the blessing of his nearness, his proximity on the day of Pentecost, where God's presence flooded into the lives of his people so that they might be caught up in the wind of God's spirit and move out into the world and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And this gift of God's presence is available to all who desire it. To all who say, look, I'm tired of the ways of this world of death. I'm tired of the ways of darkness. And, and, and I'm tired of the envy and the greed and, and the addictions. And, and the, the, I'm tired of it all, God. I want to turn away from this. And I want to turn to your life. I want to turn to you and receive this gift. 
And to all those who turn, God says, come and you can receive this free gift of my personal presence in your life. And I just want to invite you, even as, as this morning we celebrate this Pentecost season, we remember in salvation history the outpouring of God's Spirit after Christ bore the curse so that we might know the blessing of His presence and life and vitality. I just want to invite you to reignite a desire in your heart for God's personal presence in your life. I want to invite you to wake up to the reality that God has something better for you than the ways of death and the ways of darkness and all the stuff that is sapping life. God has his very personal presence that he has made available to you and to turn your heart over to God and call out to him and he will rescue you. He will break into your heart and life and he will bring times of refreshing into your life. Seek him, call out to him, ask and seek and knock, and you will find God, a God who is present and near and who delights to smile on his people who turn from their ways to receive his grace once again. I want to invite you just to pray with me as we we prepare now to enter into communion. Let's pray now. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and we confess that far too often we as a people have turned to ways of darkness that have sucked life away from us. We have given ourselves over to things. We have taken paths and journeys that have drawn us far away from you. And I pray, oh God, that this morning that you would wake us up, that you would turn us away and that you would bless us again. That we might know new seasons of abundance and life and vitality and joy and security that comes to us through the gospel. And that we might be your witnesses of the gospel in this world. In the midst of the chaos, I pray, oh God, that you would help us to always reject the voices of disunity and polarization and all of the politicization. And I pray, oh God, that you would make us voices of peace and understanding and self-awareness and justice and love in this world. Fill us, oh God, make us your witnesses in this world. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his glory, that all of the peoples of the earth might praise your name. Amen.